Well, um, essentially, I'm going to take you through a journey where we went from a gross injustice to restorative justice. And I'm going to start at the beginning. So I'm going to talk about this beautiful lady here, which is my mum, my biggest inspiration, and my hero, Cherry Gross. She was born in Jamaica in 1948 and came to England in 1962. My mum raised two, raised six children. She was a loving and caring person, well known in our community. She didn't have much, but whatever little she did have, she was always willing to share. I describe her as a lioness. She loved music and she loved to dance. We grew up in a place called Brixton. And Brixton for me was a, a fun, exciting place to live. It was safe. We never left, we left our doors open. We played out on the streets. And um, there was a real sense of community spirit. They say it takes a village to raise a child. And I felt like Brixton for me was that village. And if you ask me when I, was a, when I was a child what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have said a police officer. But that dream was crushed on the 28th of September, 1985. It was a Saturday, 7 a.m. in the morning. And I was just 11 years old. I heard a noise while I laid asleep in my mom's room. So I woke up and I saw my mum walking towards the door. And I thought, whatever it is, mum's taking care of it. And I laid back down. Then I heard another loud bang this time. I jumped up and I saw this man holding a gun in his hand and pointing it at my mum and shouting at her. And in a very faint voice, I heard my mum say, I can't breathe, I can't feel my legs, and I think I'm going to die. In that moment, I just got hysterical and I was screaming and I was shouting and I was saying, what have you done to my mum? What have you done to my mum? And this person then turns around and points his gun towards me and says, someone better shut this fucking kid up. I froze. I was shocked and I was scared. I got ushered out of the room where I met another 30 officers. There were dogs. There were guns. It felt like a nightmare and it felt like someone had taken my house and just shook it. I was met in the living room with my other siblings raging from a 20 year old, my oldest sister who was 20 year, years old and my youngest sister who was eight years old in the house. My mum was also babysitting two children who were seven and a two year old. My mum got rushed to hospital and we were left in the house vulnerable and left with the police. And the only updates that we were getting about my mum was over the news. And they had said that she had passed away. So I went into the kitchen and grabbed the knife and I tried to slit my wrist. And someone came in and pulled the knife from me. Crowds started to build up outside the house because the community was outraged that there was an innocent woman shot in their home in front of their children and they wanted to know why? They weren't getting any answers. So then they marched up to Brixton Police Station, demanding to know what happened. They were, still weren't getting any answers. That turned into frustration, then turned into anger. And before you know it, that was the catalyst for the second waves of riots 
for the 1985 riot in Brixton, which I call an uprising. A couple of days later, I went to the hospital, St. Thomas's, to go and visit my mum. So luckily, it was a rumour and my mum was still alive. I remember clearly going into the hospital room and the doctors coming in and explaining that your mum will never walk again. She was paralysed from the chest downwards. The bullet entered her shoulder, shattered her spine and came out through her hip. Hearing that news was devastating and I can only imagine how my mum must have felt hearing that herself. Two years later, there was a criminal trial and the officer who shot my mum, Douglas Lovelock, was totally acquitted. So there was no justice. And I remember seeing that on the news and going up to my mum and saying, mum, how do you feel? And she said, the police are a force and we can't be the force. And she just accepted it because she had to cope with it, where it never really sat well with me. For the next 26 years of my life and my siblings' lives, we became a carer to my mom. Unfortunately, in 2011, on Easter Sunday, my mom passes as a result of the injuries that she sustained back in 85 when she was shot. All the hurt and the pain and the sense of injustice came flooding back. And I didn't know where that energy was gonna go. And I just want to show you another picture of how she ended up. There was a glimmer of hope in the fact that there was an inquest into my mom's death, which would allow us to reinvestigate what happened and the circumstances which led up to the police coming to my house that day and shooting my mom. But it came with its challenges. We were denied legal aid on three separate occasions. So we finally, finally had to put a petition together. And thankfully, we got over 130,000 people to sign that petition, went to town, 10 Downing Street, presented it. And a week later, the decision was overturned and we got access to legal representation. That in turn allowed us to have an open and transparent inquest hearing and it allowed the truth to be heard. And 12 jurors came back with the findings of multiple serious failings by the Metropolitan Police at all levels on the planning and the implementation of the raid on my home that day. They were looking for my brother who wasn't there and never lived with us and they ended up shooting my mum and essentially killing her in the end. That came with a public apology for the first time 28 years after, sorry, 29 years after the incident. An apology that we deserve to hear, but the person who most deserved to hear that apology was no longer with us, which was my mum. So it was a really bittersweet moment for us. And we said to the Metropolitan Police, we are not willing to accept the apology unless it comes with some accountability because a life has been lost. They then challenged us and we spent the next two years battling with the Met until we ended up in the High Court 
And it was only then that the Metropolitan Police conceded and accepted accountability. The High Court judge then recommended that we go into mediation to see if we can work things out between us. At that point, I had no idea what mediation was. Sat down with my lawyers and they explained the process to me. And they also brought up the idea of restorative justice, which I knew nothing about. So my, my, my lawyers explained a little bit of the process and I went away and thought about it. And 24 hours before we was going into mediation, it came to me like an epiphany moment. I was gonna use pictures to communicate what happened, who my mum was, what happened to her, and the impact that that had not only on her, but on us as a family and the children who had to witness that on the day. I've used some of the pictures today that I, I, I shared in mediation, and there was one other that I used to try and communicate the story. And it was of my daughter, Harmony. And the reason why I used this picture because she was eight years old at the time and I wanted them to connect with the, with the youngest child that was in the house at the time when they shot me, because we were adults now. And I also wanted to explain a story of two weeks before we ended up in mediation, I explained, I saw my daughter was going, going to school and I shared a book in her hand and I called her back and I saw the words police and I said, what book are you reading? She said, Dad, I've read about that ambulance and I've read about the fire service and now I'm reading about the police and I froze and I thought this is going to be telling her about all the great and wonderful things that the police do and I'm not disputing that they do some of that work however we have a personal story that's going to conflict and counteract what she's reading how do I tell her that with balance one day and I said to the senior high-ranking officer who was in mediation with us the way I tell my daughter that story is down to you and how we resolve this between us today. And that person got up and he had tears in his eyes and he looked at his, his, his lawyers and said, my lawyers are not going to like what I'm about to say right now, but I would hate for my mum to go through what your mum went through. And that was the moment for us. That was the first time that, that the Metropolitan Police showed any type of empathy towards us as a family for what they had done to us. It was a small but very powerful moment. It allowed us to start engaging and looking at a way forward and it allowed us as a family to start that healing process. As an outcome of the restorative justice um, outcomes that we, we discussed on the day, one of them is a memorial. So we asked for a permanent memorial to be erected in honor of my mum and the community who rose up for her for that injustice to be there not only just as a reminder of what happened, but also to act as a place of reflection and learning, because we want what happens to never happen again. That memorial has been designed by the world architect, Sir David Ajay, and will be unveiled 
at the end of April this year. Mm. So in conclusion, restorative justice, I found the process so powerful for my family and myself that I went and trained in restorative justice. And essentially, restorative justice is about bringing a victim and a perpetrator together to discuss the harm that's been caused. In restorative justice language, we say the harmed and the harmer. For the actual harmed person, it gives them a voice and it gives an opportunity to try and heal and move forward from what has happened. Because as we know, hurt people tend to hurt people. And for the person who's created the harm, it allows them to see the damage of their actions, how, how what they have done and inflicted onto others has impacted not only them, but also others. And there's research to back up that when, when the harmer goes through a process like this, they're less likely to reoffend. So in conclusion, I just want to say this. What my mum went through, that terrible injustice, that suffering and pain and that trauma that we experienced as children, if through telling our story, we can add to the growth and the awareness of restorative justice, that people engage with it as a way to look at justice and to reconcile, then that would be a great legacy for my mum to be associated with. Thank you.